Hey guys. Hey, how are you? We're we're on. You feel like what? Ah, uh, nothing. I'm exhausted. Hi, we're so excited to be here. Debrowing crypto. We're still in book launch week, so. You're in book launch week. I guess I am too. No, you are too. By no. association. Um, but we're doing this. This is the you know. No, not giving up on debrowing crypto. It happens no matter what's going on in our lives. So we need to still debro crypto. And we are. It, it hasn't been debroed yet. One bro at a time. Um, let's bring on Nisa. <laughs> Hi, hey guys. Yeah. <laughs> One bro at a time, right? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great name. Love it. T shirts that basically say that. The, the name is actually just uh, side sidebar is, is like highly controversial in some circles. And um, I feel like we've had this conversation before. And, yeah. And we don't care. Well, I think the more controversial a name, probably the better, right? The better the brand. And uh, it's one of those names that you immediately understand what, what, what we're trying to what, do, what, what we're trying to do. So I think that's positive. Well, hi, Nisa. It's so great to see you. Um, so Nisa, you're a managing partner at A100X Ventures, advisor to Dragonfly Capital, where you invest in early stage blockchain, crypto, Web3. You've been in VCs for 10 years and investing in blockchains in 2016. So you are an OG, <laughs> OG, OG. Um, you worked at Scout and practice. Oh, you're a lawyer. That's right. Cor corporate law, Anderson Kill, Meacham, recovering lawyer. What, Never what, again. One thing not on her bio is that um, she worked with our friend Brad at Scout, who's like definitely like very interesting. Is that who we and, dinner with? No, that was different Brad. And and then and then we met actually Nisa through Vic, my oh. partner. My so, favorite. So, you know, I had to apologize for that relationship. Uh, but, Does he uh, often apologize for that relationship? Uh, this is the first time, actually, I've heard that. So. He often apologizes to me for that relationship. So <laughs> that's probably why uh, now you too. Um, so you've been doing this for a while. How did you get interested in blockchain? Yeah, so I also, um, by the way, sat on a board with, Tim um, from ENIAC. So, so we go way back. I was, I was just saying how uh, I remember, like, you know, I don't know how long it was ago, but when you had the ENIAC first mobile conference, I was there. And um, that we're both, you know, Penn people. And I was really excited to see four people come together from Penn and launch ENIAC. So, uh, so anyway, it's, it's great to be here. Um, and how did I get involved? Uh, yeah, so from law, that's fascinating to me. Were you doing? Like, I was a practicing corporate securities lawyer. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and in between there, I, I went and worked for a guy named Barry Diller. Oh, we know Barry. Yeah. And that was like um, Web2, investing in Web2. Um, and uh, it became what is known as today Interactive Corp IAC. Yeah. So that was like Ticketmaster, City Search, Match.com. You know all those investments. Yep. So now Tinder. Tinder is Tinder like and, yeah. Tinder. Tinder. The market cap of IAC. Like it's literally the biggest. You know, the biggest uh, entity within all of those entities. That's uh, right. Yes. And Expedia was another one, of course. Uh, Dara Khazar Shahi, who was my boss at the time. Is now right? Uber. Yep. So um, yeah, Jeremy Liu. I'm sure we. I'm sure like a lot of overlap there, and um, and then right, and then into venture, and um, 
I guess, you know, just had been looking at a couple of things in the space at Scout and was really interested in the fact that I saw this technology as a way to democratize access to capital and access to deals for all kinds of people. And that really hooked me. Um, I mean, I saw a lot of different applications for the technology, but in particular, you know, having been part of the system and, and you know, the book that I wrote, WTF is Happening, uh, Women Tech Founders on Rise, speaking of controversial names, um, it was, you know, about the systemic barriers for women and the data that, that I included as to how women outperform as founders, as funders, and why we should, you know, all be taking advantage of the arbitrage opportunity there. So um, that was that was the initial hook. And I basically said, you know, I only want to invest in blockchain, crypto, digital assets going forward. Hmm. And that's exactly what I did. Can we talk about what was the arbitrage opportunity that you felt like? Because you're in, talking about Web2, right? With, well, I'm talking about investing in women yeah. um, as an arbitrage opportunity. So they're undershopped, they're undervalued, they over deliver. Mm -hmm. That to me is arbitrage. Mm -hmm. and, you know, how do, how do we move that 2% number that never moves um, that goes to female founders? Um, you know, and, and it's it goes right up the chain to all the systemic issues, part of what you've seen this week with Bain Capital. Um, yes. You know, and how, how is that enabled? So essentially, yeah. you see more do you see more female founders in web three? I do actually. Yes. Really? Like a lot more? A and lot do you more. Like that's a similar motivation. This idea of like the trans, the, the, the transparency and the ability to ownership. Is that something that kind of, cause you're like not the first woman who said that, that that was your thing that pulled you. Yeah. I mean, I guess back in 2016, there was no like web three, <laughs> but there were um, definitely a lot of women that were um, either engineers or developers or, you know, kind of like working on the infrastructure or, you know, because NFTs didn't really take off until 2021. I mean, they were, they were a thing, but like, you know, there were at NFT NYC, there were only like 50 people there. Um, so, you know, kind of once that started to take off and we started to talk about gaming in the metaverse and et cetera, I think a lot of celebrity women got involved and that it, it hit like mainstream pop culture in a way that like tr disrupting finance didn't, you know, th this kind of hit fashion, it hit artists, it hit sports and, you know, real estate and like, all kinds of ownership that you could have through the technology in Web3. And I think that drew more women in, mm. you know, the, that kind of like relevance. And and you had like all these celebrities trying now <coughs> to get more women in, and that is resonating. Do you think that that also got more women in because they felt it was more accessible? Like, I think like in more, the more mainstream is, the more you feel like, oh, I can do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Plus, most women, you know, as at least as investors were kept out, um, 
you know, that there were high minimums, et cetera, to get in, you know, with this, you can invest, it's kind of like crowdfunding on steroids. You can invest at lower minimums and it was more accessible to more people. More people. So when you, when I see in web two with my, with girls who code and just female founders, right. Is that often we're solving problems that we're facing. So you see a lot of women rent the runway, fam tech, you know, even those amazing, you know, amazing women that are in, <clears throat> looking at the waste, you know, to figure Bio out bio analytics. Bots. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or it's something about kind of changing the world and making it a better place. It's not about like, you know, creating Uber Eats so I can like, you know, not have my mom make me deal. You know what I mean? I can get somebody send it to me. Are you seeing the same thing in Web3 in terms of the types of ideas or companies that women are creating? Yes. Um, I see women, you know, creating play to earn games, for example, or, or learn to earn or, you know, whatever the next iteration is that are really just trying to put food on the table, right? Like that they, they, they're, this is by necessity um, that, you know, in the Philippines, a lot of people didn't have jobs, et cetera. This is what they did to make money. And explain to us what a learn to earn is. Oh, um, basically like it's educational games instead of just, you know, player games where you like, you finish some module and then you, get rewarded um I, I, there's a lot of iteration going around like play to earn um gaming so i think um just different things that i see and i think also you know for a long time um women have been uh in luxury goods in fashion etc and if you think about it nfts are like luxury goods they are a way for us to flex on the internet, whereas there maybe wasn't that before, right? Because we're all behind a screen, you know, you can't see what we're wearing, the cars we're driving, et cetera, but you can see my NFT, right? Or what I own or, or how I choose to present my identity in that world. And I think, um, you know, a lot of women are really drawn to that. They're, first of all, they're mostly experienced in those areas, right? And so the migration makes sense. And NFTs, you know, it's a lot of marketing now. And a lot of big brands are getting in on that. And, and there's a lot of women in marketing, too. Yep. That's right. That's exciting. So what... What what what's exciting you these days? Um, like you know the most of everything you're seeing. You know you, you mentioned NFTs um, at ENIAC. We're for Web three. You know, kind of on the latest docket of uh, interesting companies include like DAO tooling. Uh, and you know the big joke is that there's like you know a hundred times more DAO tooling companies than DAOs, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Everybody. Everybody's a Dow tooling company this week, um, but mm -hmm. actually we're, we're 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 meeting a lot of like accounting um, crypto companies, you know, um, because now obviously with rules and regs that are coming out, obviously Coinbase now, unfortunately, you can kind of export your transactions in a in a in a tax um, you know efficient manner, um, and so the you know the Mint for Web three, the Brex for Web three, the Airbase for Web three. The QuickBooks for Web3, we're seeing a lot of this kind of software like recently, the past couple of weeks. Just curious to see what you're seeing or what you're like super interested in. 
You know, yeah, no, obviously also seeing a lot of professional services around DAOs, even though, as you say, there what like are 250 something DAOs now. Um, but everybody's really excited about DAOs and um, they figure, you know, there will be a proliferation. And so they're going to need all these services. So we might as well, um, you know, start now. Why, what, what, why what's are, your take on DAOs, by the way? Yeah, is, is, da, why, is DAOs a, is, are DAOs, hold on a sec. I, I, <laughs> you, you why have, are people excited about DAOs? And, and five years from now, are, are DAOs going to exist? Or is this just like? Is this really the future? Well, DAOs have existed for a long time, just not called DAOs, really. Right. Um, but if you think about it, the way that people, you know, decentralized governance has been ex experimented for a long time. And, um, you know, I think um, people are excited because this is a new way of governing communities and, and crypto has really been built on communities. And so I think, um, you know, there are different kinds of DAOs, like there's single purpose DAOs, like Constitution DAO, et cetera. There's investment DAOs, like Syndicate DAO. Um, you know, there's there's Ukraine DAO. Uh, there, there's a lot of different. So the jury's out on, on, you know, just how well each DAO is doing based on its purpose, um, you know. What's the lesson from the Ukraine DAO? What was the purpose? What was the intention and what happened? It was uh, basically to raise money for donations to Ukraine. And it the and um, it happened so much faster and so much more money was raised than in traditional methods. And I think there's a lot more transparency when things are on chain than they are in the, you know, our traditional philanthropy models where you're, you know, donating to an organization and you don't really know where it's going. Or, yeah. or how to how to track that? Um, yeah, and a lot mean, of it, it, like, it's so great to have a DAO for political campaigns and you get rid of dark money. Right, and I think I'm pretty sure that exists already. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so so there's a lot of it's like a Cambrian explosion of experimentation with these kinds of governance models, and you know, um, regulation hasn't caught up yet. And a lot of this may be, you know, people need to be a little careful about, you know, is there an entity behind the DAO? Because, you know, somebody needs a signatory, et cetera, uh, at the end of the day, is there, you know, are any of these securities, right? Securities laws, tax, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's great to watch the experimentation. Um, I just think that, you need to be careful of the law. Yeah, I'm trying to understand mm -hmm. where the, because I've been hearing a lot about the Ukraine and the potential for fraud with blockchain, right? So I'm trying to understand how that happens. So what will you, if you if you give to a philanthropic organization, right, where we've had tsunamis or floods and people have given, you know, they give to an organization and then we're often, people will say, well, show me what you did with that money. And right. that's where you really kind of uncover if there is any fraud or misuse through that. How does that work here? So Ukraine DAO gets all this crypto and they're supposed to disseminate it, right? Right. And, and, then and they did. I mean, I read that they, you know, bought 
food directly, bought arms directly. Um, so you can see on the black, black blockchain whether there is any of like... Yeah, the entire ledger is there. So you can actually yeah. see all the recipients and their addresses and, yeah. and the money that was actually transferred. Now, after the transfer, of course, you can't tell that recipient what they what, did. Whether they're legitimate what, or what not. What they did with the money. But yeah, you can yeah. cross-reference the recipient um, you know, wallet address and make sure that that is yeah. the actual person. Feels that a lot more transparent. Right, it is. And if you think about it, a lot of philanthropies, a lot of the money doesn't go to the designation. It goes to the administration of running the charity or, or the organization, right? And you really have no idea how much of that really goes to what. And so it, you know, with um, like real-time settlement or, or use of stable coins, et cetera, you can take out a lot of those administrative fees that we've been used to paying for. And so, yeah, so that's that's a, one great use case. Like one of our portfolio companies is uh, Open Grants, and and they're making bringing much more transparency um, to how people get grants in the grant writing process, and it's the same concept. And yeah, so, yeah. That. The other thing I love about this is like a lot of especially huge, big philanthropic foundations just they sit on the money, and right. they don't do disbursements. And so there's no way of knowing that though, right? And now right. You can actually, it's actually, yeah, it's a lot more transparent. Account. Do you remember when Jack, and hopefully shout out to Jack that we get him on the show at some point, but remember when he- um, To start small. He, yeah, he basically he, put he, on he a He put a bunch of stock into a spreadsheet yeah. and then he was going to distribute it, but he did it in Google Docs and the thing crashed. And it's like, you know, wouldn't it be smart to actually do this on, on a ledger like that? And by the way, maybe that's a good startup idea, which is like, like tooling for like, you know, your philanthropic um, endeavors, if you want to actually be public on the on the blockchain and actually show folks uh, where you're going, start with the foundations all the way down to very charitable people. Well, I mean, that could be very interesting. I mean, I think what Jack and McKinsey solution. Bezos are doing is similar to what you would do on blockchain, which is essentially I'm just going to distribute it, right? Like I'm not in your, I'm going to make it super transparent, mm -hmm. which is very, very not the tip of, not the model of, of, of philanthropy right now. Um, um and it's like also with supply chains you think about all the issues that we're having right now um with parts and you know for consumers and for enterprise you know and and all the fraud that goes on in supply chains too yeah. and so you know part of our thesis at a100x is we invest in these areas um that where blockchain can solve real problems and it's not necessarily crypto assets but it's all these other things we're talking about that are often ignored by crypto funds where, you know, you've had an entrepreneur coming from industry, whether that be like healthcare or climate related carbon offset, you know, through tokenization or uh, legal and title and identity and privacy and all these other areas where I think is the next wave of, of innovation. And I, I see it happening from industry. And so that's really exciting because um, these are, are long-standing hard problems that um, can be solved using this technology. I mean, it's in, it's really exciting. So, how worried are you about regulation? Um, actually, before I even ask you that, I want to say, you know, it's interesting. I feel like legal innovation makes things less 
transparent, right? The ability for you to structure something that's really complex so you can actually hide things, one would argue. And so right. here, you know, what would be the legal innovations here to, I would think that the, the, the thing that the value that you would want would be to actually have more transparency, more accessibility. Not right. That. Well, there are a lot of startups working on, you know, the use of smart contracts um, yeah. to disrupt the traditional legal industry. But there's also, if you think about it, <clears throat> you know, one of, one of our portfolio companies is Champ Titles. They're using uh, blockchain to disrupt automobile title insurance yeah. and total loss, uh, you know, through, and that's a use case like you wouldn't even think of, but that's a huge problem for people. And um, there's huge cost savings involved there. Mm. And so, and, and the same thing applies to like figure who's doing this for mortgages or home equity lines of credit or, you know, student and personal loans, um, all of that being settled on provenance blockchain. Mm. There, there, there are so many different ways that um, I think, you know, we'll look back, our kids will be like, I can't believe things were done that way. How inefficient, right? Yeah. Right. Someone has in the chat, uh, like chain of title in real estate is yes. another example. Exactly. Uh, what, what about resumes? Actually, we, we met a company recently. And yeah. um, can you imagine, you know, instead of LinkedIn, there's like this source of truth, this blockchain, you know, a, a subdivision of identity, but where employers can then verify that all these things are essentially true. And it's, you know, one chain. Instead of, of calling your references? Yeah, I mean, because it's on the blockchain and, you know, it's a pub, very public ledger and people can, um, um, you know, much like Wikipedia and Web 1 or Web 2, people can, you know, edit it and then verify against it. It's fascinating. Fascinating. Um, let's go back to the question on regulation. And also, but on that note, uh, people who have degrees, you know, maybe from foreign countries and they have trouble proving that they've gotten a degree uh, this is a related use case, right? And and apparently in 2022, there are people in our industry who are still falsifying their transcripts. <laughs> so uh, this is really a needed application. Yeah, and actually you can sell this software back to universities, right, yeah. as well, yeah. where it becomes a store for them. And so then it becomes a source of truth. We have, we have a comment that somebody's saying, Gene's <laughs> saying, this is very concerning to me. I mean, here's the thing. You know, obviously, yeah, uh, shining light in these in these areas uh, is obviously going to be very disruptive. But it's going to take wow, I it's, it's going to take a lot for an, an ecosystem to like move to to like that model. You know, and um, you know, it's ironic, Gina. You, you know, it's better than anybody. You know, we've had this. This is not new technology. This technology has been around for you know decade plus, um, and yet we still we still sorry, Nisa, uh, we still don't have any of this you know, that, that is like really at scale. Um, you know, we have, we have bored apes, you know, and we have, you know, they, they, they promised us flying cars and we have, you know, we have, we have, we have bored apes and we have, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum and Solana apps, you know, essentially, right. It was like 90% of. Yeah. We have probably. flying cars too, by the way. We do. Yeah, Can we I do. Yeah, don't tell him that. Then that's what he's gonna want to go get. Let's check out Beta. It's another investment of mine. But, but there's been a bunch of them, like the Volocopter, etc. So, yeah. Um, so we only but, but I get your point. What you're saying is, yeah, you know, 
they promised us all these, but they're coming. They just, yeah, you know, coming. Coming. they take longer to build. And, and the thing is with some of like the crypto assets and NFTs, uh, there was a lot of speculation and hype and trading and, and that was all enabled. That's a little bit of a different animal from, you know, building an application in healthcare where, you know, right. you own provenance of your medical records and, you know, there may not be a need for a token or an right. NFT there just for, you know, hype or speculation or trading purposes. And that's yeah. okay. That's okay. It doesn't mean you shouldn't invest in this company that's solving a really hard problem that's going to take a little bit longer. Right. Um, and that's where, you know, venture is suited. Yeah. Let's right. end with uh, regulation. Um, yes. Where are you about it? Elizabeth Warren recently has a bill on sanctions compliance for crypto companies. Yeah. What do you think? I thought she'd be into crypto. Um, yeah. Well, I think part of the issue is the narrative. Um, and and uh, there are a lot of people who've tried to get the right narrative across to policymakers and been for a long time trying to educate them. But it gets caught up. Uh, you know, the media kind of likes to do clickbait on things like this is an environmental disaster or this is, you know, sanctions. I mean, the facts are wrong, but it gets a lot of attention yeah. in the media. Everyone's like this, like everyone's like a twin, uh, you know, a Tinder swing swindler. Like the amount they, they love a good crypto is fraud uh, story. Clearly, gets yeah. Well, well, because crypto emerged from the shadows and. And uh, until, you know, Paul Tudor Jones kind of signaled to everybody that there's no career risk and then the institutions can come in. And then there was a stampede. I mean, so it's okay that it emerged from that. But what people don't realize is, you know, the blockchain for some of these things are, are like the roadmap to catching criminals. You know, there's way more money laundering and fiat going on. So... Am I worried about regulation? Um, I'm not. I'm really close to it because I'm a securities lawyer. Yeah. And I'm on the board of the Global DCA, which is, you know, basically going to be a self-regulatory organization in the space. And, you know, there are a lot of um, politics tied up in this. There's a lot of um, competing for who's going to be the regulator, uh, who, who wants to control yeah. this, et cetera. And um, if you look at Biden's executive order last week, you know, we still don't have answers on a lot of things in the weeds, but the tone of it is much better than yeah, everybody that's, anticipated. That's what everyone's been saying. Well, this was a great conversation. Thank you. Yeah, Nisa, we would love Nisa, to. This is fantastic. We'd love Thank to. Thank you. With you. And how, do people, how do people find you, by the way, if they want to reach out? Yes, um, they can go to nisaamoyles.com uh, or I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm Oils Nisa. I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah, happy to answer any questions. Amazing. Amazing. And I have one last question for you. Uh, between now, you've met three out of four ENIAC partners. Who's the weak link? Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.